Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be doing things a little bit different this morning. Uh, We're going to look at God's Word, and then we're going to hear from two people in our body that have been going through um, difficult times in their lives. And I think it will be very encouraging and God-honoring, and we will learn about God through it. If you would, please open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians is a letter written to the church at Corinth by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. He wrote to that church to encourage them and to lead them. And in this section of 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul here is going to say something that is directly to my heart that I need to hear and that I need to learn from, and I think you might also. I'm in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence with you. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal would be swallowed up by life." He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Is God's word. Paul knows suffering. Paul knows persecution. In Acts 9, when Paul was converted by Jesus Christ, it was told of him, I will show him how much he will suffer for my sake. Paul is going to be put in jail. He is going to be tortured. And eventually, according to church history, he is going to die a martyr's death. It is this man who writes this and tells us, beginning in verse 13, verse 13 and verse 14, that he knows that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him. He knows there is something else coming besides the persecution, besides the suffering that he's enduring. 
he says in verse 15 that he endures this suffering for their sake. He is beaten. He goes through these things for the sake of believers so that grace may extend to more and more people with thanksgiving so that God will be glorified. He says, we go through hard times. We go through suffering. I go through suffering so that this grace and this message may go to more and more people, to the glory of God. He says, because that suffering has an eternal purpose, we don't lose heart, verse 16. He says, this outer self that we have is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. He's called the outer self, he's called the body previously a jar of clay. He says here that this jar of clay, this outer self is wasting away. In a little bit, we're gonna hear one of the people is Ricky Wyatt, whose outer body is wasting away. But it says that your inner self is being renewed day by day. It says this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's an amazing statement. He says that this suffering is a light momentary affliction. I would say that what Paul goes through and what some of you are going through doesn't feel very light and momentary. But he says in comparison to what it's doing, it is. It's light. It's momentary. He says it is doing something. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Not just an eternal weight of glory, but it says an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. F.F. Bruce says of this, the weight of glory, he says that expression is influenced by the fact that in Hebrew, weight and glory come from the same root word. He said it's because the coming glory is so weighty that the present affliction seems so light. That the eternity of this coming glory makes the affliction seem momentary. It's not simply that the glory is compensation for the affliction. Rather, the glory is the product of the affliction. These struggles, these afflictions are doing something. They're producing this weight of glory. And he says in verse 18, so we look not to the things that are seen, the temporal things. We look to the things that are unseen. He says this world around you is actually not your home. The things that are seen are transient, he says in verse 18. They're passing away. They're passing away. The things that you don't see, the things of faith, the things of the Lord, the things of heaven, are eternal. They're everlasting. There is no chapter or verse divisions in the original text, so it flows right into chapter 5 here. He goes on to say, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He calls this body a tent, a tent, a temporary tent, a jar of clay. He says that this will be destroyed. And when this is destroyed, God has prepared for us in all of his love and in all of his goodness and in all of his knowledge of who we are, he has prepared for us, he says, a house not made with our hands, a house that is eternal in the heavens. He says in verse 2, for in this tent, in this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You may have felt that 
or you are feeling that now, right? I groan in this body. I long to put on that heavenly dwelling. He says, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we're still in this tent, in this body, we groan. We groan. It says in Romans 8 that the creation groans all around us as well, that we are looking for this resurrection. We're looking for what comes after. He says, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, further clothed. So he said, there is more than this. There is more than this. He says, look at this at the end of verse four. He says that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He says that the temporal and what you see around you and what you are going through, the things that we consider life and that we would call life, this mortality, he can't wait for it to be swallowed up by true life in eternity. He says in verse 5, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. All of these things are done by the Lord. It says God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Another word there for the Holy Spirit for guarantee is a down payment. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, he says that we have been sealed as Christians, as those who believe in Christ. We have been sealed with the Spirit for our inheritance, right? God has given us this down payment that is the Holy Spirit, that is the second person of the, the third person of the Trinity, that is God, as the guarantee of what is to come. So he says in verse 6, we are of good courage. We have courage. I'm preaching this to my heart. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, he says in verse 8, and we would rather be at home with the, body, at home with the Lord and away from this body. In Philippians 1, let me read this to you. In Philippians 1, he says this, Paul does, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire, Paul says, in the midst of his suffering, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But he closes by saying, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul's very real. He says, if it was my choice, I would go be in glory. And he says, but God has a purpose for me now. And when he chooses to call me away, he will call me away. Until that time, I'm going to do his will. He says here in verse 9, back in 2 Corinthians 5, so whether we are at home, which is actually in glory, or we are away, we make it our aim to please him. So no matter if he leaves you here in your situation, or he changes your life situation here, or you are in heaven with him, he says, our goal is to bring him glory. Our goal is to please him. There is a reason these things are happening. And you, like I, when I sit there, uh, you may be nodding in agreement to this passage. You may be saying, I believe that. But is it really true? Does affliction, 
and knowing and focusing on the Savior Jesus and on the life to come in some form prepare us for God's glory to come? Is our inner man truly being renewed, as the Scripture says, day by day, while our outside body fails? I believe that it is. Um, I'd like to share with you or have shared with you um, a Fourth of July story about true courage. I've known my good friend Ricky Wyatt for over a decade. As many of you know, Ricky was um, in the Air Force. He was an officer. Uh, Ricky was in very, very good shape, um, much better shape than I. Uh, he has ALS, and he has been getting progressively worse. He gave his testimony here in Easter of 2013. You may remember it. It's online at Vimeo. You want to watch it, but now he can't speak, he can't breathe, and he can't move on his own. When it was suggested that I would, I would give this message today, my wife Lori said, why don't you have Ricky share? As usual, it was a good idea. Uh, my friendship with Ricky has become very deep and very real through the use of email. We communicate very often, sometimes multiple times a day, about serious life issues like being a husband, being a father. Um, we talk of our faith, we talk of sin, we talk about songs that we listen to, we talk of God and His glory, we also laugh and we joke, um, and we talk about our everyday lives. Um, I was over there the other day and told something funny to Ricky, and he started laughing, and he turned red and put his head down. I was like, Barbara, is he okay? So we definitely joke and laugh, and he was fine. Uh, Ricky ministers to me daily. Ricky prays for me, Ricky loves me and he cannot speak. He types using his eyes on a special computer screen, and he relies on three aides in his home, plus his wife and his two sons to help him. I asked Ricky to share what he had been learning about God and himself. Since he can't join us here and speak, he typed his thoughts using his eyes on his eye computer. It took him about 25 hours to type this. His family has read and recorded them, um, another good friend of mine, one of our elders at Wildwood, Dr. Wayne Berryhill, has also been walking alongside Ricky during this time, and I've asked Wayne to share some thoughts about uh, suffering and Ricky as well. So what's going to happen is Ricky's message is going to play uh, for some time, then Wayne is going to come up and share with us, then Ricky's message will conclude, including a song that has uh, deeply ministered to him. So is a momentary, is it possible for a momentary light affliction to prepare in us an eternal weight of glory? Let's hear from Ricky. Good morning. My name is Ricky Wyatt. After two years of disease, my voice and muscles have deteriorated. As a result, I communicate by using my eyes to type on the computer that you now hear speaking or through the voices of others. My wife, Barbara, and our two sons, Ari and Nathan, will provide their voices to record my words. Thank you, in advance, for being patient with this manner of sharing with you. To set the tone, I refer to 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, just as God has shown us mercy, we do not become discouraged. Pastor John Abernathy, my teacher and brother in Christ, asked me to share about my journey with a disease 
that slowly and literally takes one's breath away. I did not believe that anything in my life might be a ministry to others as described in 2 Corinthians. While I am dying from a wicked disease, I only know two Greek words and I have never stepped foot on a seminary campus. After listening to Pastor John, I realize that it's not about me. Perhaps I could at least offer some perspective, especially since I've had a lot of time to meditate about my sinful nature, God's grace, mercy, and love, and, of course, the way pain and suffering is a crucial element of sanctification. Pastor John asked me, What has God taught you through suffering about himself and who he is? The short answers are, 1. God is the extraordinary strategist. 2. He is eternally qualified to lead into unsafe territory. and 3. The extraordinary strategist has a plan that incorporates suffering. Earlier this year, two significant eye-opening revelations came to me. I was at my lowest point since being diagnosed with ALS. My first revelation came when I read two words to describe Christ that were new to me. Extraordinary Strategist God had led me to read the book of Isaiah, but I got no further than chapter 9, verse 6. The Bible versions that I've read in the past use the words Wonderful Counselor to describe our Savior. Such a title is beautiful and uplifting, especially the way Joseph Handel put music to it in Messiah. In my experience, Wonderful Counselor means that God truly listens to our sorrows, whining, and complaining. He allows us to be angry at Him, to blame Him for our troubles, and even to turn our backs to him. But, unlike an earthly counselor, God doesn't charge hourly fees, is available 24-7, and doesn't care whether you have showered or put on makeup. I read Isaiah 9-6 after weeks of extreme physical weakness. Every day was worse than the last. One night was so bad that I told Barbara goodbye after asking her to forgive me if there are any unresolved issues. My physical disabilities began to affect me spiritually. I thought that I was most certainly condemned. I spent a lot of time reading Romans 8.1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was a mess. Pastor John will remember the email I sent asking if it is a sin for one to request to cut life support when fully aware mentally. I asked my friend and confidant, Dr. Wayne Berryhill, to walk me through the progression of final days. I wanted to educate my family so that they would not be left with any guilt given my desire to not be intubated. I emailed Ori, away at college in Virginia, to support his mom during that time, no matter what it took. I told Nathan that, despite the tough times, God will use this as training to minister to others. This was my condition as I read the words Extraordinary Strategist for the first time. The Bible version that I use now 
is the Net Bible. It is easy for me to use with the computer I operate with my eyes. This translation uses the words Extraordinary Strategist in Isaiah 9.6. After spending 25 years in the military and working on staff with generals, I'm very familiar with the term strategist. So these words affected me at the molecular level, at the very core of my soul. For example, from day one as a second lieutenant, I was told to always respect the rank of the commander, even if I did not like the person. Now, just imagine what it would be like to love the commander from the very start and then to also respect the rank. This deeper relationship would generate the courage to follow the commander into any battle and to accept whatever training, whatever hardships, whatever discipline he dished out. With love and respect for him, you would trust the commander with your life. As I read the title, Extraordinary Strategist, I suddenly had a deep, intense feeling of respect for Christ. I cannot describe well enough how my heart swelled with joy. I actually laughed with relief. The thin veil that was stifling my spiritual growth was lifted, for I then realized that everything that I experience becomes instantly incorporated into the comprehensive operations plan. Using some military jargon, my current security clearance does not allow me access to the plan. However, I do know that I can completely trust the commander who has been to hell and back and who still lives to tell about it. God is the extraordinary strategist, the author of the plan for all eternity. So no word from Lori on whether or not it was a good idea for me to speak, but uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, the last three years have been, you know, long three years. Uh, these periods of life uh, happen. We call them trials, um, affliction, suffering, um, but they are good. And so, as we go, as I share with you, the take-home message from my walking with Ricky and from his friends walking with him is that we are at our best trusting in Christ when God brings the worst around us. And you're going to see three things. Uh, number one, that God is sovereign. Number two, that this is full of joy. Words chosen intentionally, spoken by Ricky. And that we get Jesus out of this. I want you to pause just a minute and not really focus so much on the fact that we've presented Ricky with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, a wicked disease, as he says, that robs him of his ability to move. Your suffering doesn't have to be like that. Whatever it is that you're going through, it's okay. The pain is okay. God has a process for it, and God has a very specific purpose. Those two purposes are that it is for your good, and it is for his glory. And as we listen to Ricky, see if you can pull that out, that God is sovereign, 
that it is for your good, for his glory, that it is full of joy, and that we get Jesus out of this. I live a very simple life. I have very few verses that I go to when I have suffering in my life. First one is, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you suffer trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The second one is that for to him and from him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That's Paul's conclusion after writing 11 chapters of Romans. Took him 11 chapters to come to that conclusion. And and then he writes, therefore, offer your bodies as a spiritual... uh, spiritual living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. The next one I base my life off of is Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. And the picture of that that I get is that, you know, those big tall TV antennas, they have those big wires that hold them upright. Those are called stays. The stays are drilled into something solid. The more you focus on Christ, the less you focus on yourself, the stronger and deeper you are drilled into the rock that it is our God. And the last one is is Psalm 1611. You make known the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. In preparation for this, I, you know, asked a bunch of Ricky's friends, you know, what is it that we've learned out of this process? What is it that we can, that we can take away? The three takeaways are that God is sovereign, that there is joy in this process, and that we get Jesus out of it. Ricky is being stripped of his physical ability to do everything for himself. The purpose of trials, tribulation, bad times, whatever you want to call them, are to bring them to the end of ourselves so that we're not depending on what we can do. Well, I can go out and I can do that. But instead, we're depending on what Jesus can do. And the more you depend on Jesus... The more you are in his presence, the more you understand the statement in Psalm 16 where it says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Ricky has a special peace. And he has that special peace because as this process has gone on and on, he has been experiencing more and more the fullness of the presence of joy. So many times I think that we are like the two followers of Christ who followed him into Jerusalem, watched him be crucified in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus where he says, or those two guys say to Jesus who comes up to him, they don't recognize who he is, and, he said, and they say, you know, we, we were looking for something different. We were looking for a political solution to our problem. And we do that. We look for better parking spots, Idols after our name, 
bigger houses, bigger paychecks. We're looking for the wrong thing. And Jesus says through the opening of their eyes through the scriptures, he says that it's me who you need. The redemption of your sin is what you need. You don't need a bigger parking spot, house, any of that. You need the redemption from your sin. You need my presence. And so many times we're looking for the wrong thing. And trial is what brings us to the point where we can strip away all of that and focus on Jesus and enter into his fullness of presence, which is joyful. Ricky is going to continue to share. He's going to mention a sermon from John Piper. Highly recommend that you listen to that sermon. Christ descended into hell, conquered death, and ascended into heaven. He is the extraordinary strategist, qualified to lead anywhere and everywhere for all eternity, come what may. My lifeline is no secret, and it is available internationally. It is the Bible. I'm so thick-headed that I have to read it every day to avoid thinking that I can do life on my own. Daily reading also helps me to avoid being afraid in unsafe territory, as I desire to follow the extraordinary strategist who is very, very unsafe. This reminds me of my favorite passage from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Hear me, church. God is good. Yes, he is good indeed. There are many Christians who have decided to allow Christ, the extraordinary strategist, to lead them into unsafe territory. I'm not in that group right now because I did not choose nor would I ever, ever want an unsafe territory as the one I'm in. Now pause for a moment and ponder this question. Am I being fearful and ignoring the extraordinary strategist who wants to lead me into unsafe territory? Allow me to give you one example of what following Christ into unsafe territory can do. In 2013, after one year with ALS, I relayed my testimony in a video for Wildwood's Easter service. I concluded by saying, I can assure you that everyone watching this video is dealing with the disease. A, a terminal disease, if you will, called sin. And the only person that can heal that disease called sin is Jesus Christ. I know, especially as a result of having ALS, that if you search for him, you will find him. If you ask him to come into your heart, he will. If you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he will. He is the great I am. 
It's just that simple. The only cure for the terminal disease called sin is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I invite you to do just that. When Pastor Bruce Hess asked me to share my story, I had no idea the video would be shown to factory workers in Sweden or that a young college hockey player would rededicate his life to Christ and become a leader in college ministry. God has used this video in many ways and in many countries far beyond my imagination and reach. To God be the glory. It was not of me because I certainly didn't choose this form of unsafe territory. Yet, now again, I am able to tell how Christ is blessing me, even me, a sinful man. I do not regret being used by the extraordinary strategist in unsafe territory for his purposes, and I venture that you won't either. My first revelation had come when I read the words Extraordinary Strategist describing Jesus. The second came to me when I listened to a song, a song for the suffering. Suffering is not excluded from the Extraordinary Strategist's plan. It is not meaningless. Routinely, as I prayed to God, I expressed my gratitude for family, friends, provisions, home care assistance, our new accessible bathroom, whatever came to mind. But with my physical strength at its lowest point, I was not happy. The novelty of having ALS was over, and I told everyone who would listen especially God. Silently, I screamed, Lord, have mercy. Take this disease from me. The novelty is gone. The challenges are increasing, and I'm slipping behind the power curve. I must pray that your will be done, but help me hear my cry. Take me now or heal me. Please, Barbara is overloaded. Money is pouring through our hands, and the boys help their dad with toileting. They are all missing out on so much because of me. Have mercy, mercy, my Lord Jesus. In my agony, I gained a slightly greater understanding and appreciation of Jesus praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Jesus asked God if it was possible to let him avoid the suffering he knew he was about to undergo. Yet Jesus said that he would do not as he wanted, but as God intended. I prayed for mercy over and over. I knew God was listening, but I wanted action. In the midst of my anguish, 
my nurse suggested that I listen to a song called A Song for the Suffering, which features an audio excerpt from John Piper's message, Do Not Lose Heart. Upon hearing the words, I lost control and cried huge tears as the song rattled my soul and melted my heart. I was so ashamed of my whining, and I was so relieved to be given the perspective I needed. I still am not necessarily happy, but my prayer was answered. The discovery that suffering has divine purpose, along with the discovery of the extraordinary strategist description of God, brought everything into focus. Every scripture reading, every sermon, every hymn has been enhanced. My severe weakness disappeared literally overnight. Within a few days, my sense of humor amazingly returned. I had spent much time whining about life in my prayers. When I could have been offering up Songs of Praise. I pray that you all will be deeply moved as you listen next to the voices of Shane and Shane as they sing A Song for the Suffering. We all need to know that the suffering we experience here on earth is not meaningless because God the extraordinary strategist has a plan for all eternity. Again, God is good, and to Him be the glory.
Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day, Focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for.
Please bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a day where we can hear of what is coming. Lord, for eternity, that you have prepared a place for us. That what we are going through is momentary and light compared to that weight of glory. Lord, we thank you for all you have done in the lives of so many in our church. We pray that we could be encouragers, we could be people who pray and tell others through songs of suffering about our lives that you might receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like after the service to have someone pray with you or talk to you more about who Jesus is, uh, there'll be some of us at the foot of the cross after the service that would love to pray with you. Uh, we're going to close. I have one favor to ask of you. Um, we made a email address for Ricky and for his family, and so it's on the screen behind me, so you need to write this down or type it in. It's encouragericky at yahoo.com. I told him not to think like he has to answer any of these, but if you could give him one, two, three, ten emails of encouragement and their family, I would love for you uh, to do that. Thank you so much, and uh, you're dismissed. Oh, you said.